Welcome to Pet Chat on 2 RFM. Greg here, joined by Julie and Fiona. Nice to see you both. Thanks, Thanks for having us. Excellent. What have you got lined up today? I think Julie got talking with someone about... Yes, I'm going to talk to Tara about rescue dogs yep. and the challenges that can come when you take on a rehomed dog. Excellent. What are you guys for us today, Fiona? I'm here to hopefully answer lots of phone calls. First up, we've got one of your trainers, isn't it, Julie? She is one of my trainers. So, yes, that's the first part of the introduction. Right, we've got Tara into bits about rescue dogs. How are you going, Tara? Hello, how are you guys? Very yep. well. Yep, we're pretty well. So, Tara, I'm just going to give a little introduction about you. You're one of my trainers, but th- your talents go way beyond that. So, Tara <laughs> has had a number of years at the RSPCA because she's such a passionate animal lover. Um, so, that was a lovely start for her. She also ha- um, aligns herself with rescue groups because that's her passion also, and we'll talk about that in a minute. And she's at uni and she's doing, what are you doing? I never remember the name. Um, so it's Animal and Veterinary Bioscience at the University of Sydney. Oh, my gosh, that's too intelligent for me. Anyway, <laughs> that's fantastic. She brings all this amazing knowledge to her job with me as a trainer, but also to everything else she does in life. So, Tara, you actually are the proud parent of a rescue dog called Yo-Yo. Tell us a little bit about Yo-Yo. So, yeah, well, Yo-Yo came from an amazing rescue group out at Nice. Um, The rescue group is called Haverfark. It's a bit of a funny name, but it's an acronym for Hunter Valley Animal Facility and Rehoming Centre. Um, So they're doing some amazing things up there. But, yeah, Yo-Yo was a German Shepherd cross Great Dane. So (laughs) a bit of a big boy. (laughs) Um, And, yeah, he was actually the result of some just sort of accidental backyard breeders. Thought that, you know, they might try their hand at um, breeding some dogs. And, unfortunately, yeah, like so many of those sort of cases, he's ended up in a rescue group. Um, I think just due to his breed and size, he sort of just sat there and sat there and sat there and no one really thought twice about him. Um, So he unfortunately spent about the first six months of his life in a shelter, Um, so really under-socialised. But, yeah, I took him on when he was just about six months of age as a foster. Um, The goal was just to give him two weeks outside of shelter just to sort of build up his confidence and just increase his socialisation, but... He's been with me for about five months now. <laughs> yes. Okay. I'm, I'm not sure whether your partner has agreed to the adoption yet, but we won't go into that now. We won't go into that now. No. But I want you to tell me, um, explain socialisation to people because lots of people think socialisation is playing with other dogs, but because he had six months in the shelter, tell us what was missing from his socialisation. Yep. So, I mean, for those listening um, and maybe who have had a puppy or are thinking about getting a puppy, so generally about the first 18 weeks of a dog's life are what we call a critical socialisation period. So that is basically when they're like little sponges and they can soak up everything in the world around them and learn that all of this stuff that they see in our weird human world is just normal. Um, Unfortunately, after they leave that socialisation period, they start to become quite fearful of new things Um, so anything that they haven't sort of had a positive association with or seen within those first critical 18 weeks of their life they can actually sort of start to develop fears and phobias of those things and yo-yo is a pretty typical example of that so 
Um, he's quite confident with people. Um, obviously, just being in a rescue group, he sort of had to work with a lot of new people and volunteers and staff at the facility. Um, he's quite good with other dogs, obviously living in an environment where there are plenty of other dogs that he can see, but anything besides that. So he's scared of wheelie bins and rocks and cars <laughs> and all of these things that he just hasn't had a chance to see while he was growing up. And what about the essentials of animal husbandry? Tell us about his ears and what you're doing to help his ears. I am. So um, I'm sure all of my German Shepherd owners on here know that German Shepherds can be quite prone to ear infections. Um, they can be quite a painful condition and they can actually be really annoying because once they've had them once, they're very prone to getting them again. And again, Yo-Yo with those German Shepherd genetics, he has had, I think, three since I've had him. And every time it's two weeks worth of medication inside the ears twice a day. So I'm sure if you have had an ear infection, you know that they can be quite painful and putting eardrops in them can be a little bit stressful. So for Yo-Yo, because he's a dog, I can't tell him that what I'm doing is trying to help him. Um, when I try and put the eardrops in his ears, he just sort of thinks, oh, my God, what is she doing? Um, he just can't understand that what I'm doing is actually to help him. So I have been using a technique, and it's part of a school of behaviour called canine cooperative care, and the goal is actually to give them a say in um, the type of things that we're doing to them. So... It's called The Bucket Game and it's by Shirag Patel and I'm sure that you could just Google Shirag Patel's Bucket Game and it'll probably explain it way better than what I will. Um, but the goal of the game essentially is that um, we have a bucket and the bucket is full of treats. And we start to teach the dog that if they look at the bucket but don't try and get the food, they can have a treat. Um, and then eventually we start to introduce some different things in the meantime. So they can be looking at the bucket, but I might start to move my hands. And if they continue to look at the bucket, they still get the food. But if they look away from the bucket, I just stop what I'm doing. And gradually we can start to increase what we're doing and actually start to introduce like ear meds and handling and touching of parts of the body and even grooming and clipping nails. Um, so basically what the dog has now is a little bit of a choice and agency in what we're doing. So if they look at the bucket, that's sort of them saying, I know what you're doing and I'm happy for you to continue. But as soon as they look away for the bucket, we stop. So for Yo-Yo, that's actually giving him a little bit more of a choice and an ability to sort of communicate with me and say, oh, I just need a minute. I'm not quite comfortable now. Or he can continue to look at the bucket and that's my cue to go, okay, he's ready. I can do the eardrops now. So it did take a little bit of time to get him up to that point, but now um, I don't have to chase him around. I don't have to hold him down. I'm sure those of you that have had to do eardrops with your dogs before know how much of a struggle it can be. Um, but, yeah, this has just made such a difference in, you know, the trust that he has in me and with handling and the vets, and it's, it's actually been really amazing to see to see that come about. <laughs> That's wonderful, Tara, and I, a great description. I mean, um, I'm sure that even though they can't see you, they know what you're talking about. But I'll just I'll spell the name of the person. So he's Shirag Patel, so it's C H. I-R-A-G, Patel, P-A-T-E-L, and it's The Bucket Game, and you'll find it on YouTube, and it's great to get your dog's focus from away from all sorts of things. So um, 
thank you for talking to us today. That was amazing. I hope people have learnt stuff and maybe people would like to ring up and ask questions about how they can help their dogs with other issues or maybe other animals. So thanks, Tara. Thanks for talking to us. No worries. Thanks, both of you. Thank you. Bye. <laughs> Bye. So we've got Charmaine from Largs and she's got a 14-month-year-old female shrewdle who runs away whenever she slips the lead and she wants the trainer not to be able to do that. How are we going, Charmaine? Yes, hello. How are you going, Charmaine? You there? Uh, Good, thank you. Yes, I'm good. Tell me Um, a bit about what's happening at home. Okay, so she doesn't actually take off every time, but it's just she's used to being on a lead or um, if you open the front door, she'll want to go out. Yeah. We have to make sure we hold on to her so she doesn't race out the door. So okay. we've lost her three times where she's taken off, once from through the garage door, once from the front door, yeah. and then once when we... she Because she's a shoodle, part shih tzu, part poodle, and she's got very silky hair. And she she's like a Houdini, and she gets out of her, um, you know, out of her collar and her... Um, what are they called? Harness. Harness, sorry. And so she gets out of it. It just slips off her. So I've bought about three or four different ones. Oh, dear. Okay. But I need to train her to sit or come straight away. And we have to run after her. And luckily enough, on the three times it's happened, she didn't get run over. Okay. So it's happening sort of at the – it's happening sort of in and around the front door or the exit of the property. Is that right? Not while you're actually on a walk. Well, on a walk, it's been fine, but this morning I walked her and she actually got out of the, she had an old harness on and it maybe, it loosened up and okay. she got out of that, but I quickly grabbed her before she... Yeah, right. Anyway. I think I think we've got a twofold situation here, Charmaine. It may be it might be helpful to take her to one of the big sort of pet retailers that have... Um, you know, they have a whole array of different leads and collars and harnesses and you can maybe get someone that can point you in the direction and help you fit one that that's right. just good for her. Can I just jump okay. in on the equipment? Of course. Okay, so I'm gonna suggest that so if you can if if you can write this down, a martingale collar, M A R T I N G A L E, is a collar okay. that goes over their head and it's got an extra loop that once you put the lead on, it will take the collar into the size of the neck. If the dog jolts forward or jolts back, the the collar itself will take itself down to neck size. What I commonly do with people is I use two bits of equipment so you can keep that harness on the dog but get a double-ended lead and put one end on the collar and one end on the harness. Okay, all right. I'll try that because I just don't want to lose her. It's just scared us so much when it's happened. Absolutely. And, and you did beautiful puppy. You did touch on it, Charmaine, as well, that we need to be teaching her um, a couple of manners, essentially, some, yeah. just to help you have more control. Because if that front door or the back door or the sheds, you know, if she's just escaping at any opportunity, then as, as you, you got it in one, you have to be teaching her to sit and stay when the yeah. door opens or when the shed opens. And that's a, you know, that's a work in progress. It's going to take time because it's super exciting outside and she just wants to get out there. So whatever you've, I, whatever you've got for her, whatever you reward yeah. her with has got to be more exciting than what she's trying to get out to. So it's got to be pretty yeah. high value and you'll get there. It's just going to take time and effort, but you're on the right track. 
All right. I started with a little um, container that I take with me and I have snacks in there. Excellent. And I'm saying, come, come. So she's, it's just a work in progress, I think. So, Absolutely. But I'll try that martingale collar. Thank you very much. Thanks, Charmaine. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. we got Cass from Dorican and she's got a budgie who acts a little bit strangely, sleeps in the bottom of the cage in the day and at night time decides to hop up on the perch. Hi, Cass. How are you? Not too bad, thank you. Um, yeah. So you, Budgie's got some beha- beha- slightly odd behaviour. Yes, I've got two of them. I've had them since I was six weeks old. Yeah. And they're now 15 months. And um, but the one I call Bluey, um, he gets in the bottom of the cage right in the corner mm-hmm. and sleeps. Comes up to eat but goes back down. Yeah. He won't come up and play with the other one or anything. doesn't seem to want to whistle. But when I start to grab the the cover at night, he gets up on the perch. Has he always done that? No, it's only the last couple of weeks that it's happened. Okay. Uh, What I would say, if you're seeing behaviour changes in birds, they are exceptionally, exceptionally good at hiding when they're unwell. Um, And they, because in the wild, animals that are unwell are the ones that get eaten. So yeah. he may well be doing his utmost to behave normally or look normal, but if yeah. you've noticed a change, it might yeah. be worth contacting your local vet and asking for a bit of a health check because they can be yeah. very, very subtle in their signs of illness and often by the right. time we get to them, they can be very, very unwell. Right, okay. So right. that would be my suggestion. Yeah. Cass, if that's a recent change, give that a whirl. Okay, then. All right, then. Thanks very much. Thanks. Okay, bye. Bye. A message from Dave from Clarencetown. He said he's got a 13-week-old puppy who just spins around and bites him every time he pats him. That can't be good for Dave or the puppy. Yeah, or the visitors, really, particularly Nana if she's on blood thinners. So, um, <laughs> Absolutely. At this age, the puppy doesn't even know that their teeth can do what they're doing, except their litter mates would have started to tell them. So a puppy that bites too hard in the litter causes the litter mates to squeal and desert them. Yep. So that needs to be our one of an, a few strategies that we use really with this age puppy to teach them really clearly they put their teeth on you or they put their claws on you. You squeal like a puppy, like, Ow! and then isolate them. That's the worst punishment for a dog is that you won't interact with them. They're only trying to get you to interact, but that's not appropriate interaction. So squeal and put them outside, put them behind a baby gate, go into another room, but isolate them. And people will say to me, oh, how long do I wait? And I say, well, it doesn't really matter. As long as the dog's not psycho, let them in again. I kind of want them to bite again so that you can go, oh, and put them out again. So um, that's one. The second one I'm going to describe, we want to teach the dog to have a soft mouth. So it's okay to put your mouth on a little bit, but don't break the skin. So when they're this age, they don't have big teeth up the back. So you pop them on your lap, you put uh, facing away from you, you put your finger in the back of their mouth and you let them put pressure on and you tell them that it hurt and you turn your head away. Don't have to isolate them. Just let them know that hurt. Now, if you do that once or twice a day, over the next week or two, the puppy's going to bite softer and softer. But you're going to pretend that it's, you know, nearly killing you. Go for the Academy Award on that (laughs) until the dog goes, oh, those humans have got such delicate skin. I'd better not 
you know, touch them there at all. And that's what you want. It's important that they learn not to break skin by the time they're 18 weeks of age. And you'll find that they will be more um, animal safe across the board. So they're less likely to cause damage to other dogs and, and so on. Yep. And the third one we do is hold, it's a bit hard to describe on the radio, but we hold a treat in our hand down low at the dog's mouth height. It, it's curled up in a fist and we want the dog to bother our hand for it. And we're just going to say to the dog, off, off, off. And when the dog removes the touch from our hand, we will then give them the treat. So we're saying you'll get nothing if you touch me, but if you get your mouth off me, I will give you that. And over time, that becomes a cue for the dog. And the other thing is if you really want to pat that 13-week-old puppy, then you could maybe be offering a treat in one hand while you're doing a gentle pat. The best place to pat is on the chest, not over their heads. That's too scary. Great big human hand going out of sight. Little treat in your hand or the best invention in the world is licky mats. Mm. Honestly, Mm. because your dog can be licking anything yummy off a licky mat. It's a textured mat. You can put yogurt on there, baby food, dog food. They're licking and then have a lovely time touching them all over while they go, oh, you're going to do that while while you're giving me a licky mat. I'm happy for that. All positive. Yeah, exactly. Mm. Yep. Yep. So is licking's positive? Oh, it's actually calming for them. Yep. So we use it a lot for anxious dogs, a lot. There's a particular licky mat that's called a soother and it has really tiny little um, raised pieces on it. And Tara, who we spoke to before, uses that with anxious dogs and she's found that the anxious dogs can come along to a session and be off their nuts. She puts yoghurt on a, on a soother mat and by the time they've been over those tiny little raised dots, the dog will look up and go, oh, what are we doing now? Fantastic. They've sort of got it out of their system. It's great. Yep. We love licking mats. <laughs> All right. We've got Pamela from Salamander Bay and she wants to know what's the best age to dissect a female dog and her dog's about nine months old now. Hi, Pamela. How are you going? I'm well, thank you. Well, that's fantastic. What breed is your dog, Pamela? Spoodle. Choice Spoodle. Okay. So going to end up being quite little? Yes. Okay. Uh, Look, the reason I'm asking questions about uh, size is because the recommendations of desexing do depend a little bit on the size of the dog. Okay. Um, She'd probably only be about, um, let me see, about 35 centimetres tall. Yeah. Okay. So she'll, she'll end up being a sort of small to medium breed. Yes, very small. Yeah. Okay. Look, I'd be... He's very small. He's a toy... Her father's the toy poodle and he's very small. Okay, okay. So she's she's not going to end up being a, um, you know, up to your hips or your belly button or anything like that. Um, So, look, I would would suggest any time, you know, in the next three to six months would be when I would recommend to desex her, probably before 12 months actually, so the next three months. Um, I did a little bit of reading up um, recently on spoodles and... mm -hmm. Well, any dog actually, and it was saying that the consensus of opinion with among vets was two years because if you leave it till um, they're only they're, they're two before you have them to sex, there's less chance of incontinency when they're older. Yeah, look, that I can I can see where you're coming from. Um, I would be 
pretty convinced at nine to 12 months old that you have probably negated most of that incontinence issue. They historically occurred more when we desexed at sort of the three to six months of age bracket. Okay. But she's done most of her growing. Okay. She's not going to be far off her full full size. So I'd be happy for any time in the next sort of few months. The okay. only time really that my recommendation would change on that time frame is if you've got a large breed or a giant breed dog. So things like, you know, Mastiffs or Great Danes or um, even Labradors, I would probably recommend slightly older. And that's to do with joints and growth of um, hips and knees and just ligament health in general. But at her size, I, I would be going for the next few months. Okay. And she's, she's just sort of come into seasonal. She's out of it now. Yeah. So is there any stipulation of time or how much longer after that season that you should have it done? Excellent question. I My recommendation is one month after the season has finished. Right. Okay. That's so by, yes. by leaving it that length of time where – decreasing the size of the blood vessels and making the procedure less risky and less painful and a quicker recovery for her. Thank you very, very much indeed. No problem. Thanks, Pamela. Appreciate your advice. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye. We've got Kathy from Spears Point who's got a 14-month-year-old chihuahua cross with an umbilical hernia and she wants to know if this might cause some problems long-term. Hi, Kathy. How are you going? Oh, hello. Good, thanks. It's a 14-week-old puppy. Oh, sorry. Oh, 14 week old there yes. we go. Yep, and tell me more. And uh, a little, it was given to my daughter. Mm-hmm. And um, it's a part chihuahua, part, part little pug. Mm-hmm. And it's a, what she knows, when it gets, you know, it's quite active, it sort of pops out a little bit, you know, and you can just press it back in. It's sort of like the size of the top of your little finger. Okay. Like a sort um, of pinky fingernail size? Yes. Okay. Um is this going to cause any problems for her later on? Uh, short answer, probably not. Um, some t- at that age, there is a small chance that it um, it may uh, even reduce in, so sort of go away completely. Has the vet checked it? Do you know? No, not yet. No. Okay. Um, definitely when. When puppy goes in for their vaccinations, definitely um, make a point of checking with the vets. Usually what we do, Kathy, is when we desex them, we repair that umbilical hernia at the same time. Okay. Oh, cool. um, so it's under the one anaesthetic. Um, it's just, you know, takes takes a little bit longer, but definitely in their best interest to repair it at the time of desexing would be my suggestion. No problem. And, yeah, just make sure when, when they go in for their needles to um, ask the vet for you. Yeah. Thank you very much. Thanks, then. Bye. Cheers. We've got Ruth from Maitland, and she's looking for advice how to remove a small splinter from a horse's hoof and if she can get hold of any, any implement. Hi, Ruth. How are you going? Hi, I'm good. How are you today? Yeah, well, thank you. Um, tell me what's happening with the horse's hoof. So he's landed after a big jump. And um, he's landed onto something that's gone into his hoof. Okay. And it's gone into his flesh, and it's it's so, it like he's he's got his paw up. He's like, oh. And um, I just was wondering if there's some way that I can be advised on how to gently remove it out of his flesh 
Can you see it or touch it or feel it? Well, I can see that there's something in there, but yep. um, I don't know what's on the other end. So I don't know if it's got spinies on it or, you yeah. know. Or, yeah. You know, so is there a, a bomb that I can create or, or make that I could, like, that could possibly, like, melt it or, you know, make it um, just, like, suck out? Because you know how, like, with us humans, we put that um, magnesium stuff on us and it sucks. Yeah, I think you're talking sort of like a poultice, aren't you? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, look, Ruth, I'm going to be the first one to say it's been a good decade since I've um, treated a horse. Um, but what I would what I would say is uh, you realistically probably going to need to seek veterinary care, okay? Um, my second suggestion is call your local vet, whoever, you know, sees horses in your area. They may be able to guide you more more reliably with some sort of poultice to fix. Um, but I, yeah, I would be seeking further advice because, as you say, if there's something nasty on the end of that, um, you could potentially be doing more damage than good. That's right. That's right. Well, I'll, I'll call my farrier and see what um, what he can do. And um, thank you. Be blessed for blessing me. Oh, good on you. Well, thanks for your call, Ruth. Good luck with it. All right. Thank you. Thank Bye you. Bye. Cheers. Bye. Thanks, Ruth. We're almost out of time for another week, but Easter's coming up this weekend. Yes. If if I can have the air for a couple of minutes. Yeah, yeah no, um, for Definitely, it. <laughs> you know, cats and dogs and horses and rabbits and everything, they don't mix with chocolate. Don't give your pet chocolate. And if you do find empty wrappers or chewed up packets, call the vet um, because if we can make your pet vomit, then we can remove the toxic source of the chocolate and you're less likely to have side effects. So, yeah, try and avoid any emergency visits to the vet over the weekend. So no chocolate whatsoever. No chocolate, no hot cross buns, no fatty foods. Just dog food right. and cat food. Just stick with what you know. Is there anything else we need to worry about as well? or um, In terms of foods, yep. the common ones over Easter are definitely like your sultanas and things in the hot cross buns. Chocolate, uh, you know, things like macadamias and onions and garlic, they're all no-nos as well. But seeing as it's Easter time, I guess the focus is awesome. all on the chocolate. Exactly right. So just keep the chocolates high up, I guess. Yes, yes. no chocolate. And don't leave it in your handbag and don't leave it in the shopping bag on the floor and don't leave it in the shed. Just just put it away. Because they will sniff it out. Yes. <laughs> they will if find they will find it, <laughs> give them 10 seconds and they'll find it. Well, guys, that is all we've got for Pet Chat this week. Thank you very much. I look Pleasure. Forward, look forward Thank to you. catching you next time. Yeah, Absolutely. Sure. Thanks, Greg.